Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. Today I am with Mike Alt. Uh, I'm fortunate in the sense that a lot of people that I interview, I know one way or another. Some I have met in person, some I haven't. And Mike is actually someone I've met in person. As a matter of fact, we went to a mixer a couple days ago and I had two of my daughters with me and I introduced them to a man that I'm friends with. And he asked if Mike was my son, assuming that because I introduced my daughters, clearly he'd be my son. And I said, no, I'm a cougar because uh, <laughs> Mike's 28 and I'm 45. And uh, anyway, I'm not a cougar. Mike is a sweetheart and he is the age of my kids. Uh, I think that's unfortunate, but um, that's all right. It's okay. We'll roll with it. So Mike, how are you? I'm excellent. And I'm only 26, actually. You're aging <gasps> me over here. Oh my gosh. Good. Because I'm 28. I've just been 28 for like 17 times. Yeah, I'm right. Or I'm 30, 15, something like that. <laughs> 26. So my oldest daughter's 24. So you are actually pretty close to that age. But Mike has an exceptional story to tell. Motivational speaker has a really, really great YouTube video, which is the first thing I saw about you where I mean as a mom I kind of wanted to hug you and cry a little bit and love you and <laughs> adopt you and forever um, but also beyond that was the strength that it took so tell your story so started out um, you know I was born in 1989 um, and uh, I was the the youngest child out of uh, myself and my sister and um, you know it was a very different time uh, back in 1989 than it is now uh, just with um, the amount of knowledge that we have and the amount of you know medical advancement so for me my story began um, with a little bit of a scare for my family because uh, I came out um, and you know the doctors whisked me away and they said well you know we have uh, um, some news for you and that's something that's always very scary for you know a parent to hear and so they told my parents that I was born, um, you know, with uh, a quote unquote disability, a limb difference of sorts. Um, and I was only born with uh, two full fingers on each hand. So I really only have my thumb and my pinky on each hand. And then I have little nubs in between. Um, so to hear that as a mother or father, um, and especially my sister who's only nine years old at the time, um, was very confusing. Um, but they, you know, they had a couple options at that point. And again, 1989, you know, medical advancements weren't there. Um, so they basically told my parents, they were like, look, you know, you can, um, do two things. You can support them and, you know, just let them have the hands that he has and, uh, help them adjust, help them adapt, um, and let them go. Or, you know, we can try to pose onto them and then you know try to give them what like fingers or try to put screws in nubs I guess you'd say and then make them uh, look like fingers so they didn't really have any great plans I guess you could say um, at the at the time um, or anything that would uh, 
completely fix the situation. So as a parent, I can tell you, it is hard when you have a baby and then they're like, oh, by the way, what is the actual uh, name? Because it's a big, long name I can never remember of the kid you have. So they actually didn't tell my parents any names. So they had no idea. They were very, um, I don't want to say negligent, but just, you know, uneducated, I guess, at that point. Um, And later I came to find out um, from somebody who I ran into at a library when I was eight years old said, I think I know what you have. And I was like, oh my goodness, tell me. (laughs) And she said it's called amniotic band syndrome um, or, or for short ABS. And so basically what that means is that when I'm um, in the embryonic sac, uh, that sac can break or burst at any point in time. Um, and when it does it, and it tears, basically those um, amniotic bands will come through, they'll break through, and they'll just basically swim and grab onto anything that they possibly can. And so when they do that, they, a lot of times they will grab onto limbs, they'll grab onto legs, feet, fingers, necks even. Um, there's been a ton of uh, miscarriages and casualties out of the birthing process just from amniotic band syndrome of it wrapping around the neck um, and causing um, the baby to die even before they're, they're born. So I consider, yeah. So if, if that really is truly what I had, then I consider myself to be so, so fortunate to even be walking this earth right now, um, even with the hands that I have. So that's one possibility. There's also a couple other um, syndromes that are out there that it could have been. Um, a lot of it is just uh, kind of a random act that occurs within, um, you, you know, the second, third trimester. Um, Correct. And so, and so there's not a lot you can do about it anyway. So labeling it isn't necessary. I just remember hearing you say it and being curious about it. And that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Yeah. So you are, if that is what it is, you are truly blessed. Because that's all it affected and it could have been so much worse. Okay, so the options were using your toes as fingers, which would have, I mean, for me, again, as a mom, just as a person, thinking about removing my toes to put them on my hands, that affects your walking. I mean, that could mess up a lot of things on your feet and potentially not help your hands a whole lot. Right, right. And well, my mom's point of view and my dad's point of view was, why take something? Because my feet are perfect. My I have all ten toes. Um, there's no issues there. So their perspective was: why take something that's perfect? Um, basically, destroy that to make something look uh, maybe halfway as good. You know. So basically, right. you're, you're stealing from Peter to give to Paul. Basically, right. and and, right. and neither one are going to look normal quote-unquote um as compared to everybody else correct Uh, and i wouldn't mess up something that's perfectly good in the hopes that it would make something else a little bit better so i think i mean for that decision your parents absolutely spot on 100 percent. i would have made the same choice and then as far as the screws in your hands or where the bones end and the fingers should have begun Mm-hmm. That seems like a super awesome option that's incredibly painful. I mean, I can't even really, and maybe not, maybe because when people braid things and they put screws in, you, you just have screws and it's not that much of a difference. But again, it must have been an excruciating decision for them. Right. Well, to be honest, they said that they weren't too familiar with you know, doing the screw surgery and doing that process. And they didn't know what that looked like for me down the road. 
Um, they thought that that might be multiple surgeries as I got older um, to readjust screws. Um, if they became painful over time, um, they said that it could cause, uh, you know, um, a difficult adjustment for me as I'm writing or as I'm learning just to do things normally with my hands. Um, so that was probably one of the the last options my parents were considering good um, yeah and yeah. i can understand that as well so yeah. they decided what i think was the best decision well clearly it was the best decision because you have a <laughs> phenomenal story but the best decision was do nothing and treat you like a normal kid and let you do or not do what you can but the doctor said you wouldn't be able to do this list of things what was this because honestly if you if i look at my hands they're, and they're completely normal. And I bend down three fingers and I look at my hands and I think, I just have a pinky and a thumb. What would I and would I not be able to do? And it's a little daunting right. when you do that. And right. I've seen you and I know you. And on your video, you can your hands are shown clearly. And it's not even like if I do that on my hands, you know, mm -hmm. it's not even like they quite look that good it's it's even a little bit it looks like it would be a little more difficult than me just bending down my fingers so what did the doctors say you probably wouldn't be able to do so i was a part of shriners um which is a fantastic hospital um you know they have uh you know units all over the united states so i was a part of that one in San Francisco and i believe i was at that doctor's office when i was a year old um my mom took me in there and they sat me on this table, and this was their this was their highly medical, you know, advanced test that they had for me. Um, they took a piece of string and they go above my face, and the doctor waited until I had, you know, my eyes on it, and he dropped it. And as it right. began to fall, I looked up at it, and you know, without hesitation, unequivocally, I ran, I just put my hand up and I grabbed it out of midair. Right, like a normal kid. <laughs> like a normal kid would, right? And so he looks at, the doctor looks at myself and my mom and he goes, I think he's going to be okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's very yeah. sophisticated. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after, you know, after all those tests, you know, I think he's going to be all right. So <laughs> he goes, he goes, you know, he's going to struggle with a couple of things. He's probably going to struggle playing sports. Right. And he probably will not be able to play on the monkey bars because he won't have the grip strength. He goes, but besides that, it's going to be a huge learning curve for him here on out. But, you know, with the, the right support, he should be able to do mostly everything. And, I mean, honestly, I'm sure throughout your 26 years, people ask you, you know, how do you brush your hair? How do you brush your teeth? How do you write? Well, that, and that's shown in the video. You actually write on a whiteboard in your, like, four-minute video. Yeah. Um, really... Uh, how do you do any of the things that all of us take for granted that are super easy, let alone, okay, you think sports, like anything that you have to wrap your hands around to hold, golf, baseball, tennis, I mean, I can imagine basketball, okay, that would be less difficult because it's more a palm. Um, football, kind of, but I mean, I can even see maybe that, and you've done all of them. Not only have you done all of them, you've done all of them with exception. You've been a tennis coach and teacher. Right. So tell me a little bit. Well, at first, let's back up a little bit because I know a little bit about your story. You told me something that happened on the playground when you were about four with your mom and your sister. Share that story. Yeah. So that was, um, we're getting to my first camp moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So, uh, so when I was four, um, you know, after knowing, you know, I, was, I was unaware of, you know, the whole story being that young. 
um, of when I was a year old of, of basically the limitations that were put on me from that doctor. Um, my mom, however, and my parents and my sister were very aware of that. So um, going to the playground, they would let me run free, you know, as a normal four-year-old, um, <laughs> you know, with uh, uh, watching me and making sure that I wasn't going to kill myself on the playground, of course. Normal but, stuff. Normal yeah, stuff, right. Yeah. So um, I go up to this platform, and if anybody's familiar with the playground or has been there lately, uh, they have the, um, the setup where it has the rings where you would, you know, stand on a platform, you kind of leap off to the first one, you grab onto the first ring, and then you swing yourself, and you grab to the second, and so on and so forth, and you would go and continue on to the other platform. Well, this was a huge test, uh, you know, unbeknownst to myself as I'm going up there as a four-year-old. Um, but a huge test for me to see if I could do it. And so my mom and my sister are kind of in the background. They're watching me. Um, and just without hesitation, I just step up to the platform. I grab the first ring and I'm like, screw this. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I grab the first one. I'm, you know, hanging in midair and I grab onto the second one. I grab onto the third, grab onto the fourth. Um, by that time, I'm so tired that I drop and I, you know, I fall into the tambark and I kind of look up and I go, Oh my God, I just did that. Right. Like any four-year-old would do because the monkey bars, any kind of those, they're difficult and challenging and fun and kids love them. And so your reaction was exactly the reaction of any four-year-old. Right. And I was just like, cool, I want to do that again. <laughs> and so what do I do? I just go do it again. And, you know, I look back and I see my mom crying and I'm like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> and my sister's <laughs> yeah. crying and uh, yeah, no, later on, I, I found out kind of, you know, what the limitations were placed on me and then why that moment meant so much to them. Um, and, and, you know, I considered that the first moment of where I said, Hey, if I can do that, what's going to stop me from doing anything else? Um, you know, in very few less words, of course, at being at that age, but <laughs> now as I look back and I, I think of it, um, from where I am now, that was truly my first camp moment where it, where it came into perspective. And I said, Hey, you know, there's nothing that's going to stop me in this world. If I right. can do that. And the doctor said I couldn't, but I could, there's no reason why I can't do anything else. And kudos to your family, because I have a daughter that was born with a lung disease and I was told similar things. She'll always have asthma. She won't be able to be around an animals. She won't be able to run. So sports are going to be out. And she never knew. So I just figured I'm going to let her do whatever she wants. And when she's limited, then we'll address that at that point, which is pretty much what your family did. And you know, there was never anything she couldn't do. Never. Right. Right. Because she didn't, she was, there was no preconceived can't in that child's mind. Like there was right. no preconceived can't in your mind. So you just did. And had there been limitations, when there were limitations, you figured out a way to do them differently than mm -hmm. I do them or someone else does them. Now, in our conversations, you have made comments about how now that you're 26, when you coach and you're a public speaker and you're working with people, your favorite demographic is kids because kids are completely unfiltered and unafraid to say, hey, what's wrong with your hands? Absolutely. Where adults are more... I don't know. We're, we're uptight. We don't, we want to be politically correct. God forbid we offend you. <laughs> and so we say nothing or, I mean, in some situations we would, adults would be uncomfortable where kids are like, you know, why is that your front tooth black? They don't even think to ask questions <laughs> to people when they see something. And so you really love working with children now, yeah. but growing up with your peers was a little different. 
Right. Children, right. when you're a child, tell me a little bit about that. So I basically, I made a, a complete 360 flip kind of throughout my life. And so growing up, um, you know, probably through kindergarten, elementary school, you know, up through middle school, um, into high school to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, uh, people was, they were almost my fear to a certain extent. Um, and I give, I give huge, huge kudos um, to, to my family. And you kind of touched on that, but they honestly, they were the biggest piece of support that I possibly had in this world. Um, I honestly would not be standing here today if it wasn't for, um, you know, my immediate family, my extended family, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents that instilled those values and that inspiration into me. Um, It's incredible how much a little support will go um, that can change somebody's life. And so, (laughs) oh, you know, you know, and that's what this is about. (laughs) Yeah, we all have struggles and all different. Yours is very unique. So, you know, I want to know about the struggle, but then I want to know how, how the hell did you get through it? And family, right. like you're saying. Right. So the people peers. aspect, yeah, yeah. No, the people aspect, definitely it changed for me. So, you know, work or, you know, growing up in, in the school system um, and being among my peers, um, it was really hard for me. I got bullied at a very young age. Um, I would say probably the questions obviously started from day one. So that was kindergarten. Um, I can remember fielding questions um, and, you know, kids wanting to look at my hands and um, even as probably as young as preschool that I still remember, um, they would just, they would just ask me questions and I was totally okay with that. Um, And then it wasn't until probably first, second grade, the actual um, negative bullying probably started. Which is young, I think. That's so young. Well, and it was, it was more inquisitive bullying, I would say. So it was more, okay. it was more, you know, uh, well, how, how do you tie your shoes? Oh, well, I bet you can't do that as good as me. Right. Something okay. Like, something that like that. Right. Yeah. So they were, they were inquiring, but at the same time, um, it was also somewhat of a challenge to me, um, and to challenge who I was. And, I understand. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, and so, you know, the teachers I had even were so supportive, um, and, and so growing up within, within elementary school and things like that, um, it became tough. And so middle school, oh my goodness, like middle school is hard enough as it is. You and I both know, obviously yep. with, you know, all the kids that you've had and, and them going through, um, you know, public schooling, things like that. Like middle school is probably one of the toughest years for anybody just because you're yes. trying to find who you are and just make it through on a daily basis and you're hormonal and you hate everything and everybody else hates everything. Yep. You're so mean. If I could skip any two years for all of humanity, it would be seventh and eighth grade. It, yeah. It's horrific. There's nothing that makes it okay. So yeah. you coming in obviously with something different, God forbid there'd be something different. So what was the reaction to the peers then? It was interesting. I, um, I, I was almost seen as somewhat of an outcast because of it. And then they would, so I've always been extremely outgoing. That's one of the things that, you know, part of my personality that's followed me all the way through. Um, and I, I think I really get that from my parents and my dad. I mean, he could crack a joke at, you know, the drop of a hat. Um, so I really awesome. get that. I get that from him. And so um, I like to be, you know, the light of the party during certain, or during certain events and things like that. And I like to, um, uh, you know, be entertaining to a certain degree. And so I, I kept that through elementary school, through, through middle school. Um, but what I found was that um, 
a lot of the friends, quote unquote, that I had, I had a few really good supportive ones. And I had a few that I, I just tried to expand my network, I guess, at that point, I just wanted to be friends with everybody. Um, and the friends that I was, I was getting in touch with, you know, would, would see me for my hands, but then they would comment on that. And then they would comment on something else about me. Um, for instance, uh, you know, I was really into skateboarding um, as a middle schooler, but I didn't have, you know, the, the most expensive skateboard or the most expensive shoes and things like that. And I did my hair like a lot of, you know, other kids and other friends around me. So they would, you know, they would call me poser and two fingers and, um, you know, things like that to where it was, it was bullying almost because I was is quote unquote outcasted because of my hands. But at the same time, they were just bullying me in general because I was an easy target. So they would find and nitpick yeah. and, and just find anything about me, which I think, to be honest, I think I'm no different than probably anybody else at that age because a lot of people get nitpicked. Um, but then it, when you throw that aspect of, of not being secure with myself at that point in time um, with my hands and then I'm getting bullied twofold on top of that, that was extremely hard for me. And you had supportive teachers and you had supportive family. And right. even with that, and by this time you're playing what sports by middle school, what sports have you tried? All of um, <laughs> so my dad, my dad put a hockey stick and a baseball bat in my hands by age three, I want to say. Okay. Um, at that time, so my dad, my mom and I would, uh, we'd go to the park probably almost, you know, every weekend and go hit a bucket of balls. Um, my dad would pitch to me for hours on end and I would make him stay there and stand there and, um, you know, until his arm basically fell off. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, so, so we would take batting practice. Uh, we would do that at least once, once a week. Um, he was working for the San Jose Sharks at the time. So he put me on the ice at age eight. Um, Excellent. yeah. And so I was, I was playing ice hockey from age eight on. Um, and then in middle school, uh, I tried out for the basketball team. I got cut. Um, I tried out for the soccer team. I got cut. <laughs> um, I tried playing volleyball and I made that team. So I would play it, that volleyball is huge, especially as a, a guy sport in California. You don't see as much here in Reno, but um, I was on the volleyball team. Um, and in middle school, that's really the only sport I played until I moved to Reno. Okay. Um, and so that was, that was in when I was in Cupertino, Sunnyvale area. Yeah. So definitely there was an exposure to sports and no one ever told you you couldn't. Right. But where were you emotionally in junior high school, which is even with great parents and great support and you hadn't moved yet. So there's a, you have a stable family and yeah, you're a normal junior high school kid getting picked on, but then you have this, like you said, you're not comfortable with yourself, which I think is not abnormal at that age, but you're dealing with all the same set of issues that all kids have in junior high school. And then you're compounding that by the fact that your, your hands are different and right. people have one more way to target you. So tell me a little bit emotionally about what happened in junior high school. Um, so emotionally, I mean, I... I got to a point where I was probably being bullied, I'd say, almost every day out of the week for probably two months straight. And that was extremely hard. Um, so there was days where I would come home and I was, I was very prideful. Um, I didn't like, I understood that when I told my parents, you know, that I got bullied, it was hard for them. Like yeah. I could see it in their face, like it, it drew on them. 
and it drew on my sister and I didn't, I never wanted to put them, I never wanted to make them um, basically feel sad. I mean, to put it in layman's terms, I never wanted them to hurt. And I knew that if I were to go home and tell them, Hey, you know, today I got bullied again, or today I got picked on, or today I got called no fingers, no hands, crab hands, lobster hands, you know, anything, you name it. Uh, I knew it was going to affect them. And I knew at a young age, the effect that my words, that other kids words had on myself and what my words had on other people which is pretty amazing for that age but you were very conscious of having this disability and how it affected everybody around you just innately you you've always known that um even your parents really i mean as a parent they did an exceptionally amazing job and still still you knew you knew it would hurt them yeah, absolutely. I, well, I knew it was going to affect them. Yeah. And so a lot of times I, I kind of kept it in and I just, right. I, I wouldn't go into depth. They'd be like, Hey, how was your day? I was like, Oh, it was good. You know, I was like a normal middle schooler would say, and um, I just let that, I kind of let it go. So I internalized a lot of those emotions. Um, there was t- definitely times where I broke down. There was times where I sat in my room and I put my hands, I put my face in my hands and I, I, I would cry. <laughs> I would literally cry myself into a corner. Um, and I would, uh, I didn't grow up super religious, but I would, you know, I would just say, you know, God, why me? Right. Why, why me? Why would, you know, <laughs> Billy down the street or Johnny is a jerk. Why, why choose me and give me these hands? Why right. do I give them these hands? You know what I'm saying? Why give, why are you going to give me this challenge when I'm just trying to, you know, make it through? And I, I would ask that question weekly. I would say, why, why would you do this to me? And I, I, I had a small epiphany in middle school and I, I kind of came to this realization that I said, you know, maybe it's not all a bad thing. And I, I kind of take it back to the entertainment factor. I was like, you know, I like being the light of a party sometimes. And I like, you know, having attention to a certain degree. Um, maybe it's not always a bad thing. You know, maybe I could turn this, maybe I could use it. And uh, you know, um, if somebody bullies me, maybe I'll make a joke back or maybe, if somebody laughs at me, I can, you know, try to flip the situation in some way. And so it was definitely a trying period, but I, I started to come out of it come seventh, eighth grade when I had, you know, a good two or three solid friends. Um, I knew that I could lean on them for support. And I, you know, I basically told myself that I, I, I have two choices. You know, I can continue to have these horrible thoughts and horrible feelings and cry myself into a corner and eventually, I mean, that eventually would turn into suicide. Like, no doubt in my mind. And that's, no doubt. that's what I was kind of hoping that you would bring up and discuss, that kids in yeah. high school, it's so painful. Um, one of my daughters was suicidal in junior high school. And, you know, you, when you look at the situation from the outside in, even when there's extenuating circumstances, I think, oh my God, like, how can you get that far? That's, that's not just a little thing. That's an enormous, uh, issue to have to overcome is the fact that you're dealing with depression. You're dealing with the, even, even just dabbling in the thoughts of suicide well and and so don't i don't want to get um you know anybody confused so i never i never ever was to the point where i even considered it but i was to okay. the, i was i was to the point where i considered who would miss me right i got to that point and i i right. said 
because you know if all these people are making fun of me and all these people are judging me and you know in my eyes hating me at that point honestly if i wasn't here walking this earth would anybody really miss me right and so that's that i would say is as far as i ever got to which that, is still scary that, that, no absolutely i mean and and God, no kid should feel that way. Absolutely. You know, uh, no one should feel that way. So, and I understand, I understand you weren't like, uh, you didn't have a noose in the garage and you weren't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no. But I think a lot of people get to that point that, is it worth it? Why is it so hard? Will anybody miss me? Why am I going through? I think that that's a, probably not uncommon, especially at the age you are at and especially with having something different. Right. And I remember quite a while ago, you told me there's something in your personality that absolutely got you through, that like basically flipped that. And I don't remember if you told me, it was basically your attitude, but I don't yeah. remember if it was uh, like, I have just enough of an ego, but I don't remember if ego was the right word. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit, of, I would say ego, arrogance, arrogance on, that's the yeah. word that's the word you use yeah <laughs> okay so it's basically chip on my shoulder so you know and so as we're kind of going through middle school so uh, i have all these emotions and um you know i'm like who would miss me and then i realize, oh my god you know i have this great family that would you know miss me and uh i don't know what they would you know uh, they wouldn't be able to survive without me and i realized that and so <laughs> i started to then grow a, uh, like a chip on my shoulder and then that's when sports really started to play in. And so I would say when I moved to Reno, I was 13 years old. I had two weeks left of uh, my seventh grade year. Um, wow. I move up here. Yeah. And uh, it's a complete culture shock for me. And it not, I would say in a bad way, but it was just, you know, I come from, the, you know, the Bay Area of, you know, fast paced traffic everywhere, tons of people. And then, you know, you can escape from that really in Reno and where we're at. And um, you know, I went to Pine Middle School. If anybody's familiar with uh, Pine Middle School, it was, uh, I thought it was a jail cell when I first <laughs> drove up to it. Um, I was like, mom, what are you doing to me out here? <laughs> and uh, It does look like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I only spent two weeks there, my last two weeks of seventh grade. And then that's when Damani Ranch High School was being built. Um, and then their first year that they opened, that was my eighth grade year. And I was the original eighth grade class at Damani. And so from there, it was that whole, okay, well, I have to reestablish myself. Um, I'm a brand new person, essentially, in a brand new city. Um, so I can be whoever I want. Um, and so I started to gain a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. And I started to say, you know, nobody's going to hand me anything in this world. And my parents really instilled that value in me of, if you want something, you got to go earn it. If you want a candy bar, you better go earn the $2 to go buy it. <laughs> right. Good job. Um, yeah, no, and I hated it then, and I was like, oh, you guys are cheap, but now I understand. <laughs> no, we are yeah. cheap. Parent, we are cheap as parents. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to vouch for that, but also, <laughs> we're cheap in a way that we want you to learn. <laughs> right. No, and it's, I, I thank them now. My mom always said that. She's like, Michael, you're going to thank me one day, and I was like, no, I'm not, and then now, now every time I see her, I'm like, hey, thanks, mom. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And we have a daughter that wants to go this weekend to Six Flags with friends. And I said, how much is that going to cost you? And she said, actually only $20. So my kids know, they know as, as they early, <laughs> they, they know to find out who they're going with, how they're getting there, how they're, it doesn't matter if it's a movie or a trip to the mall, um, how they're getting back. If I need to do any rides, how much it's going to cost them and what they're willing to do to earn it before the conversation even starts. And good, good. you know what? That's, that's a very good thing because it does teach them. 
Um, mm -hmm. And you learn that lesson. And I, I love that my kids have learned that lesson. That's a hard lesson to learn if you don't learn it growing up. Right. Absolutely. What I mean, a that's, slap in the face <laughs> in college. Hello. Oh, girls, oh my goodness. You know? Yeah, or even later than that. Some people don't learn that until they're they're well into their twenties or thirties, and right. at that point, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you started out, and then now, how did sports change? Because dad's not he wasn't doing this, the Sharks hockey team anymore. Right. So he so he got into into retail. My mom was in uh, she was an administrative assistant. Um, so I didn't have the connection to hockey anymore. And then coming up here, hockey is really There's a no foreign hockey. language. Yeah, right. I know. I'm from New England where everybody breathes and speaks hockey. And Reno is like this pocket of no one knows that there is hockey. It's You're like, oh, you must be from Canada. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So what sports did you get into? Now you're talking about, they, now Damani in that very first year had eighth graders in the high school. So they had seventh and eighth graders just because of the demographic and they right. couldn't build a middle school and a high school. So they connected the two. So yep. it was seven through 12. Was, right. Which um, was the, pretty cool back then. No, absolutely. And I thought it was really cool because we actually didn't have a senior class the first year. And then the first senior class was 2004, I want to say, or 2005. And it was only maybe 15, 20 kids. So yeah. it was a slow start. Um, it wasn't as overpopulated as today, obviously. Um, but having, having that extra eighth grade year was such an easy transition into high school because it was the same school, you know, right. most kids same are going, kids. Yeah, 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 teachers for the most part are the same. And it was kind of this, uh, you know, new learning curve that we we're all doing together. Um, but no, as far as sports, so my eighth grade year, um, I got into basketball and so I tried out for the basketball team. Um, mind you, I'm, I'm an athletic kid. Uh, I don't have a pair of basketball shorts. I don't own a pair at this point in my life. Um, so I'm going in there with basically like khaki shorts and <laughs> I, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, the tryouts were the day after winter break, Christmas break. So here I am in December, um, the last day before break. And this kid and I are playing basketball one-on-one -on -one in PE. And so I absolutely destroy him in in one on one, and I was like, "Hell, I should try out for the team." Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I kid you not. So I walk down after PE. Um, him and I actually walk down together, and I go down to the office, and I'm like, "Hey, I know the tryouts are coming up. When are they coming up?" And they're like, "Oh, well, it's actually the day after we get back in two weeks. Here's you know a packet that you need to fill out for your clearance forms. You need to have your parents sign them. You know, we need money up front for all the activity fees and all that stuff." And I was like, "Perfect." So I go home that night. I'm like, mom, dad, I'm trying out for basketball. They're like, great. I'm like, Hey, I need to get a physical. I need you to pay this much. I need you to fill out all this paperwork in a week. Go. <laughs> right. And, um, parents love that. No, no, they love it. Yeah. Uh, so they made it work. Um, I show up to tryouts. Uh, they have an A and a B team basically, uh, for eighth grade. So, um, I have a, at that point, a one in 25 to one in 30 shot of making a team. Um, luckily wow. there's only about 28 kids to try it out. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. So no, so I made it by the hair of my chin, chin, chin. And that was basically because they, uh, they needed me to fill the team at that point. Okay. Now uh, how tall are you right now? So right now I'm six, four. Okay. I thought it was, you were right about there. I would have said six, three. So you're somewhere, you've got to be getting tall at this point. Not really actually. You so weren't. okay. I was, I want to say my freshman year, I was five, two. And as oh my an gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> I hit a growth spurt late. Um, so I was about five foot five, two as an eighth grade freshman. 
um, grew a couple inches here and there each year. By my junior summer going into my senior year, I grew six inches. Holy cow. Okay. So you yeah. weren't like the tall string being kid at that point that they wanted on the team because you had height. No, I was the short chubby kid actually. Oh, wow. So if you look at me, if you look at me now, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. So yeah, you're learning stuff about me today too. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, uh, yeah, no, now I'm the tall string being, I look like I'm hundred pounds soaking wet. Um, then I was a five foot two little chubby kid. Um, who loved donuts and you know <laughs> chocolate milk? <laughs> normal, and normal. Yeah, yeah. So no, so I'm trying out, and I, this is the first you know a really hard, hard tryout I've ever had in my entire life. Um, we had to run you know what they call UCLA's or suicides, so where you're running the baseline, the free throw line, half court, opposite free throw line, full court. Um, I'm dying at this point. You're we had to dying. run three of them. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm barely able to breathe at the end of it. And I, I remember seeing my parents at the end cause they were, they came to pick me up. Um, again, this is eighth grade and, uh, uh, they're watching me from the, the little glass doors. Um, and I can just see how proud they are and just oh, see that on their face. Good. And so, I mean, that really got me through. And so I, I ended up making the, the B team essentially, uh, that year I barely played, uh, but it was such a good experience just because uh, it forced me into the team aspect um, and it forced me to really have um, uh, a lot of determination to make sure, you know, I got to practice every single day. Um, you know, that uh, even though that was really hard and there was times where I wanted to quit because it felt like I was running track and field <laughs> for a basketball team um, right. at times. No, but it really taught me, um, you know, patience and, and everything that sports teaches kids, you know, throughout that age. And, uh, it was one of the best experiences and, um, I was fortunate enough to be, you know, one of those kids where they just needed me on the team to fill the team. Um, but that propelled me and, you know, going into my freshman year, uh, I played basketball again. That was the only sport I played for the school. Uh, but that year was completely different just because I had already had a year under my belt and I knew what to expect. And I started doing summer camps and I started practicing on my own. And I really realized that, hey, if I'm going to be good at this sport, you know, it, it starts with me. It doesn't start with anybody else. Um, and I knew one of my struggles within the sport of basketball was ball handling, was dribbling. Um, and so, you know, most people would probably assume that that would, that would be a struggle for me. Um, so one of the things I did was they had uh, one coach who was one of my best friends, dad at the time. Um, he would do uh, ball handling every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. for two hours straight. And that's all we did. We did not shoot a ball the entire time. He would put us through dribbling drills um, nonstop for two hours. And it was hell, essentially. <laughs> um, but that was something that I, I understood that if I didn't get that skill, if I didn't grasp that, um, I would never be good. And I would right. never make another team probably here on out. Um, and you love the team at this point. There's a lot oh, yeah. of camaraderie on um, any kind of team that goes beyond. It kind of supersedes the basketball or the whatever the sport is. I mean, I'm on running teams. It's the same thing. Basically, you, right. you have this like family within the team. Right. And so, and it's, you're learning ball handling skills, which yeah, helps you in a team aspect, but there's so much more going on there. Yeah. So so and so at you. Yeah. So at that point, that's where the chip started to come. So I said, I said, Hey, if, if they don't think I'm good enough, you know, just wait and see. Right. Just wait and see. So and you, so, you had an attitude of proving everyone wrong by this time, by ninth grade, by ninth grade, I was, um, 
that's where the ego and the arrogance that we talked about earlier, that's where it started to, it started to um, shine a little bit. And it wasn't, it was never something where I said, Hey, I'm out to, you know, make you look stupid in front of everybody. But it was one of those things where if you challenged me or if I felt challenged in the moment, uh, there was no way in hell come hell or high water. I was backing down. Right. Like if you and I go on, one of my favorite lines from uh, Will Smith is if you and I go on a treadmill, you're either getting off first or I am going to die. Right. And what a great thing to propel you because these little, so there's all these little tidbits that are happening, words, people telling you, you can't. So that's a big word that comes up with you regularly. Right. It's people telling you, you probably can't do that. And in one way or another, whether that word's being used specifically, um, even if they say, are you sure that's something that you want to do or want right. to try? There's still, right. there's still the element of can't. Exactly. And, um, and the word challenge. So those are two words that in every conversation with you that I've ever had, those are two things that come up that I want to keep that trend going. Mm -hmm. So you got through high school clearly. Yeah. And you played more sports. <laughs> yeah. Played tennis. And so t tennis is the one, I got to tell you that one still, I, I love watching it. I watch your video and like, holy crap, you kicked my butt. <laughs> no, which, well, which, you know. <laughs> I mean, people are more athletic than others but you have to hold it you have to hold a racket right and i know that's more challenging for you you may have figured out a way to make it happen but it is truly impressive to watch you play tennis thank you no i appreciate that <laughs> and you loved tennis i know it's love tennis. It, still love tennis still play it to this day still play tournaments as much as i can and um, you coached it and i coached it for seven years yeah getting out of high school uh, so with tennis, I, what I learned was that I had, when it came to sports, um, I was a little bit more advanced as far as the psychology behind sports because okay. I kind of had to be. So I realized that, yeah, so I had limitations with my hands. And it, I mean, I could, I could tell you all day and I could, you know, speak in a bravado and say, oh no, I had no challenges whatsoever. You know, of course I did. And there was things that I would do not as well as others. So the psychology of sports started to click with me and I started saying, Hey, okay, so if I'm not as good of a dribbler as say the point guard in front of me, that's going to get more minutes. What can I do that I can completely control um, that I can be better at? So that was, that was my conditioning. So okay. I would run like nobody's business. So I would try to get in the best shape I possibly could because I knew that yeah, he might be a better ball handler, but I was going to last 40 minutes where he would only last 35 throughout that game. Great. Same thing happened in tennis. Um, I wanted to be way more athletic. It, even if I couldn't um, swing as hard with my forehands or my backhands or my serve wasn't as strong, I knew that if I was more athletic and I could get to 20, 30, 35% more balls than the next guy, that was going to put me in a better position to win a match rather than trying to outpower anybody because I knew the limitations I had on myself. So instead of trying to see my, I think what most people would think with any disability is you try to figure out how to do things with the disability as best as you can, or as much as you can, or build up the strength or whatever. And what you did instead was said, well, this is what I can do with this disability, with my hands, but these are all the other things involved. And I'm going to do all of those so much better that you won't notice that, that it's not as big of a deal that I'm not, that I'm weak in one area. Right. No. And so it's basically, it comes down to where are you going to focus your attention on your strengths or your weaknesses? Correct. And we all and have them regardless. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, we all have them. And so for me, it was like, 
so what can I do exceptionally better than anybody else? So I'll focus on that strength. I'll right. execute that as, as best as I can. And then the weaknesses, obviously I'm going to give, um, you know, some time to, but it, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on those strengths more than I will my weaknesses. And I think that's another common theme that I kind of had throughout my life as well. Right. And that's, yeah. but that's still a phenomenal thing to learn because you've got to understand your age and, Right. I'm and, a 14 year old kid. <laughs> right. And still being discouraged. And, you know, I mean, and still, even though you have a team and friends and new place that that doesn't mean all of a sudden there was a magic wand and every kid's nice to you and people right. aren't asking. So right. in the, now you went to college here at UNR. Right. So first I went to, so I graduated from Damani um, and I really wanted to continue sports in some facet and I really wanted to play tennis. Um, and I knew that that was probably my golden ticket to being able to play a college sport. Um, so I wanted to play, obviously, at UNR, but it, the competition there is so tough. Um, and so I had a couple of friends that were going and moving to Rockland, California, and they were going to go to Sierra College, and they really wanted me to go with them. And so I got in touch with the coach down there, and I said, hey, I want to try out. I want to walk on. Um, and he said, yeah, come out for a workout, and let's see, you know, let's see what you got. Um, and so I ended up doing the workout, doing pretty well. And so he put me in basically the preseason class that was basically the preseason workout. Um, and it was like three hours a day, uh, four or five days a week. And I did that. And so I tried to walk on there um, by the end of the semester. So I moved down to Rockland with $2,000 in my pocket, uh, no car, no job, just going to college. Um, by the end of that semester, I was dead broke. This 2008 when the recession hit, so oh, I couldn't yeah. find a job to save my life. Um, and so I, I kind of had to make a decision. And I said, you know, I went to my coach to my coach, uh, my tennis coach at the time said, you know, what, we're, we don't have a spot for you necessarily to play this year, but we're going to redshirt you. Um, I, he goes, I want you on this team. I want you. He goes, I think you're a great, um, uh, you know, teammate and a great person to have around. And I want to keep you within the program. Um, but I just don't think this year's your year. I think next year might be. Um, so I want to register you. And then so that was tough. So I had the whole reason I was down there was for tennis. Um, cause I already got accepted to like Sac state. I accepted to UNR. So I had, I had those schools. So really the only reason I went the junior college route was for tennis. And so when I realized that, and then I realized I was broke, <laughs> um, I, I had to make the, the, you know, the decision the call at that point. And that's when I came back home. And so I picked up my scholarships that I had academically through UNR and, um, I said, you know what, I got to, uh, unfortunately, tennis, I'm not going to be able to play it anymore. Um, but what I want to do is I want to continue my education. And so that's when I moved back. And then that's when the coaching started. And I said, hey, if I can't play it, I'm still going to be involved somehow. So now I want to coach it. Which is so fantastic. I mean, it's not great what happened or how it happened and it's discouraging, but I love that you turned it around. And so where in this, where in this whole pro what's the timeline? Because did you graduate from UNR? Yeah. So I, I started the spring semester of 2009 um, at UNR and then I graduated from UNR spring of 2014. So I was on the solid six year plan. Well, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta milk it a little bit. Um, right, and what, what, did, what was your degree? Uh, business administration and management. Great. Okay. So yeah. where in this process did the word can't mean something more to you? Where you have your own website. Right. 
Um, you're starting an apparel line, public speaking. Yep. So tell us about, (laughs) write a book. That's right. You're writing your book. Um, can't is not an excuse is your, uh, business essentially. It's your, is it a nonprofit is a website? Tell me a little bit about that and how that came about. So, so going into college, I knew I had a passion for business. I knew I just wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to own my own business. Um, I didn't want to work for anybody else. Um, so I had a lot of entrepreneurial tendencies and a lot of entrepreneurial um, attributes at a young age. Uh, so going into college, um, I said, hey, I'm going to be in business. And I never faltered from that. Okay. So I was taking business classes and I want to say it was my junior year. Um, so this is 2012. So yeah, so roughly my junior year. So 2012, fall semester, um, I take this uh, uh, branding class. It's like a social media self-branding class. And uh, so I take this class day one, I walk in and my professor says, if you um, have any issues with giving up complete privacy and control of your social media, <laughs> you, you need to leave right now. And, and so you the, liked that. <laughs> I, no, I was actually like, wow. I was like, well, okay, I need to delete a couple photos here and there, maybe, <laughs> maybe some comments here and there. But um, no, I was, I, it really excited me. And you can, you can kind of feel this gasp, this air that escaped out of the room a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, no, all these college kids are like, oh, no. <laughs> um, but no, it actually really excited me. And so he continues to tell us more and he goes, so through this class, what we're going to do is um, you're going you're gonna to brand yourself through social media using Facebook, Twitter, um, and uh, WordPress, a blog, essentially. Correct. So he goes, you're going to make a blog. And through this blog, what I want you to do is I want you to come up with a theme or a topic where you will create value for someone else. And so there's dead silence and yes. nobody knows what the hell they're going to talk about. <laughs> and so, you know, a couple of things start coming up in my head and I'm like, okay, well I can talk about coaching. Cause at that point I've been doing it for four years. Um, uh, I could talk about, you know, sports because I have such a huge passion for it. I could talk about business and I'm like, holy crap. Why not talk about my hands? Right. Why not? Why not talk about the one thing that I never talk about? Right. And the elephant I, in the room. The elephant in the room. And to this point, to this point, um, I kid you not, I would hide my hands to a certain extent. If I'm with family and friends, you know, my hands are out and I I feel comfortable, I'm great. If I'm with new people, especially girls at this point, I take my right hand out, I shake their hand, my hand goes straight back into my pocket. And every single time I would meet new people or I'd be in a new area, my hands would be in my pockets. Because I had the, I had, my thought process was, if you were going to get to know me, I want you to judge me based off my character and my personality. And I want you to make your, whether that's good or bad, I want you to, you know, appreciate me as a person first there. And then once you get to that point, then I want you to realize that, yeah, I have a limb difference. And then if that changes your personality of me, well, then you're ignorant and so be right. it, you know, off with you. Um, if not, then great. And hopefully that adds to the conversation. And what you don't realize, well, college is when I really think you can be more, you know, junior high school's miserable, high school's a little better. College is when it's like, oh, you know, you don't give a shit as much because you realize that everybody's different. And it's no big deal. And you can kind of be who you want, but you're still, that's still a process. And what you come to realize the older you get is that everyone has baggage. 
Everyone oh, has yeah. a story. You can be raised upper middle class, parents who never divorce, siblings that get along, you know, skipping rainbows and unicorns and still be screwed up. It, Absolutely. Nobody comes through life unscathed. So we all have a story. The issue is I can hide my baggage. I can hide my, the thing that I, the things that I'm the most um, concerned about that will, that you will judge me on. I can hide them and you can't. Right. Right. It's, I would consider it like almost like a invisible illness or an invisible disease. Um, a, a lot of times. So anybody, I mean, anybody who's dealing with any, any hardship that you cannot see. So like for you, for yourself. So, you know, growing up, um, being molested, growing up, right. um, with infertility, growing up with, um, being abused physically, um, right. uh, you know, emotionally, all those things nobody will ever see by looking at you and shaking your hand and you Correct. introducing yourself. The, and that's just it. I can hide my scars. I hide you my really battles. I have the ability to do that. And, and you did yeah. it. So I would hide it to a certain extent. Like I right. said, I would hide it to a, a point to where I felt comfortable. Um, but I also used it as, I used it as a filtration system, to be honest. So okay. I, I used it as if I'm going to shake your hand right now and if you, all you do is sit there and look down and stare at my hand mm -hmm. for a solid couple minutes and you don't say a word or ask a question or, you know, continue in a normal conversation, I then perceive you as ignorant. Right. And I, I perceive that as a character flaw. And I, <laughs> one of the, one of the qualities that I have today that I, I really think it's like, I, I consider it my sixth sense <laughs> in a certain way. And that's, um, uh, sizing up people's character from the right. get go, from the very start. Um, and that starts with the handshake and it's so important well, to me. Well, yeah, Mike, I mean, yeah. generally when you meet somebody, <laughs> that's the first thing that you do and there's yeah. no hiding at that point. Yeah. And the rest of the people in the room, you know, we went to the mixer the other night, you were shaking hands all night. And right. I actually wondered about that. Like that, I can, I have the ability to smile and no one sees anything. Right. And your first, the first thing you do with every single person you come in contact with, you're exposed. And how right. hard that must be to have gone through that and not have the ability like the rest of us to hide your, hide your scars, your battle, right. whatever, your baggage, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, but that's exceptional because it did teach you that and it helps you weed people out way faster than the rest. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and so that's strength. So that, uh, like I said, I would, I never feared shaking somebody's hand, but I feared the aftermath of it. Um, okay. And it wasn't until I took this class that, you know, I really started becoming comfortable with myself. So I'm 23 at this point in time when I'm right. taking this class. Uh, yeah, just about to turn 23, I believe. Um, to this point in my life, I still am insecure. I still don't truly love myself. I still don't truly accept myself. And I still question who I am to a certain extent. So now I start this class again, um, first day, give up your social media, give up all privacy, start a blog that's going to create value for somebody else. And at the end of it, create a four to five minute long video summarizing um, what your message was and how you brought value. So I go home that day, I literally have an epiphany, a light goes off and I say, I have to talk about my hands. I have right. to talk about it. There is no other thing that I'm going to create more value in this world around. Like I can, I could bullshit my way all day about sports. I could, right. you know, I could talk about anything and everything if I wanted to, but I will not be able to speak the truth as much as I want without talking about this topic. Right. And 
And so I said, I can create value because I bet you, and at this point I knew nothing about all the other organizations that were um, out there at this point or all the other people for that matter that right. were out there at this point. And so I said, Holy crap, this could be a great way to connect with people. This could be a great way to share stories, to, um, you know, build a network opportunity, um, build business hell, you know? And so I go through this class and, uh, the first week of my vlog is basically like an introduction of what I'm going to talk about. Um, I sat in the computer lab at UNR. I kid you not for a half an hour with my first blog post uploaded. Um, I have to share it to Facebook. Uh, I have my comment in there like, Hey guys, so I'm starting a blog. This is it. You know, uh, I want your feedback. I welcome it. This is hard for me. Uh, you know, I sit there and I put the cursor, the mouse cursor over the word post. Mm -hmm. And I sat there for 30 minutes staring at it. Yep. I kid you, like sh almost shaking because I had no idea what the response was going to be, whether I was going to get hate, whether I was going to have, you know, all those middle school, you know, kids basically, you know, resurrect from the dead and come <laughs> after me and, you know, oh, look, there's two fingers again, you know, something like that. Or, you know, the complete opposite of, I didn't know if I was going to be able to reach people and if they would connect with it. So I sat there and, uh, you know, I just... I questioned everything I was doing and then I said, screw it, here we go. And I hit post, um, you know, within that day, by the next day I had, you know, 20, 30 comments of, Oh my God, I can't believe you're going to talk about this. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, this is a story that needs to be told. Um, no hate mail. Thank God. That's great. <laughs> uh, so That's, that, that was, was one of my questions. That is good. Yeah. Although and I so, would have been completely disgusted. But yeah, but you still were, you're, yeah. it's still, you're still afraid. You're afraid you want to make a difference to, to other, even one person, right? That was you, my goal going into it. Yeah. Right. If I could, you if want I could to change resonate. one person's life. Yeah. Right. Just a little bit, even if it's something totally different. So I don't have the same situation as you, like you don't as, as I do, but the, our stories resonate with each other because the pain is the same. Yeah. And what I've learned in sharing the story, which tell me if you agree with this, is that people love to read the destruction they love they love the shit show they love seeing how awful things were for you yep. and we're very drawn to the car accident right mm -hmm. but as we're drawn to the car accident we're thinking please let everything be okay we want, it doesn't matter what the situation is. Um, we want to see the devastation and we want to see the success following it. Like, whew, absolutely. we want the fairy tale. Yeah. No, so, well, we want the triumph because I mean, if you look at, you know, if you look at media today, if you look at movies today, you know, it always has this happy ending. Like the, right. you, you start from nothing, it, you know, it's the hero at the end. It's the Rocky, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Everybody wants to stand up on those, that staircase and put their oh, hands yeah. in the air, you know? Yeah. So you though, at this point, you have the story and it's hard. It's, it's very scary to be raw and vulnerable um, because there's a possibility of rejection and rejection hurts. Yeah. And um, then you realize, wow, people are actually thankful that I they shared really this are. because then they're not so afraid of their own back because most people are, are more afraid to tell their story than not. And yes. so you actually push past that fear and push the post button. And the reaction is, oh my God, thank you. And, and I think the reason why is because 80% of the population out there has a story that's equally as valuable, but their fear is too great to push post. Exactly. And you, and you did that. And so that also resonates with people like, oh my God, you were willing to put your ass on the line 
in a way that I'm not willing to put my ass on the line. And so there's right. an amount of respect and appreciation. So then you had to do this video. Right, right. So by the end of it, and so again, I love to be challenged. If you, you know, if you say, you know, Mike, I challenge you to do, uh, you know, 20 pushups right now, go. Like I will, I will take it and I will own that. I will wear it. <laughs> um, so I, I love to be challenged because uh, I, I love, even if I fail, it's a learning moment for me. But if it's, um, if I succeed, then hopefully I just inspired somebody else. And, right. and that's, that's really, that's how I define success. So yeah, at the end of the semester, I had to do a video. And so my teacher challenged the class. He goes, he goes, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you guys. There's one or two each year um, that make videos, you know, through this course and it completely blows me away. And he looks at the class and he goes, I bet there's probably one or two of you in here. And I go, you're damn right there is. <laughs> You're damn yeah, right there is. Accepted. Yep. So I, yeah, no, I, uh, I got in contact with um, a really good friend of mine who I played basketball with. Um, he was the videographer for uh, uh, Cargo and the downtown concerts at the time. His name's Dax Victorino. Um, an amazing, amazing. He does weddings now. Um, uh, highly renowned in this area. Um, but he's an incredible guy. And so I got in contact with him and I was like, Hey, look, I have this idea. I really want to make this video. You know, it's centered around sports, it's centered around my story. You know, can we make this happen? And it just so happens that he kind of had this, he wanted to do some sort of like a, a commercial type video, like okay. based off of like the commercials that were in, um, you know, that time around like basketball and football and just, just sports in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a, exactly yeah. like a motivational, just do it. So he kind of wanted to do that, but never really had, you know, the, the ideas behind it. So I brought this and he goes, you know, this is great. Let's do it. Right. So I, you know, I gave him, you know, 150 bucks and I said, Hey, is this going to work? And he's like, yep, let's make magic happen. <laughs> so, uh, I went to the money. I talked to the administrators like, Hey, I want to, um, you know, make a video. It's motivational. I swear I'm not doing anything bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're like, no, go for it. And at this time I was a coach, so I had keys to the place and, and I pretty much just, you know, let myself in. <laughs> right. And, uh, so, you know, him and I did, um, uh, we recorded for about four hours that day, um, just doing different things. And I, I came to him, I said, Hey, you know, let's get me playing tennis. Let's get me playing basketball, baseball, um, strength and conditioning. Right. Uh, and then I had a list of four songs and I was like, Hey, so let's put these four songs in there, but I need you to like edit it. So it makes it look cool. And he's like, Mike, Mike, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he's <laughs> like, I do this. I got you. I know. And clearly he does because the video is exceptional. Oh, it's he, an ex it is oh an exceptional gosh. video. He went above and beyond anything I possibly could have dreamt to be honest. And I basically gave him a foundation of, Hey, this is the message I want to get across um you know bring it to life and he really did that and so um yeah he 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 filmed it he edited it um i had a, a buddy of mine come in and help me uh, film it he was the one pitching right. to me and passing right. to me and things like that and so um, how did you name it how did i name it so the, the name, name i'm telling you the name is the heart uh, it's the hardest part of a lot of this the name well, so the name actually came to me it was crazy so the name came to me during that first blog post and ah, okay. it actually came to me during that epiphany, the very first class. And I was okay. like, I was like something about the word can't. And I was right. like, I was like, no excuses. Um, um, I can do it. You, or I, you think I can't, but I can't like all those words would come in. And I was like, I was like, no, I was like, can't 
can't is not an excuse. Like right. people use as people use that word as an excuse and they'll try to use it as a, um, like a getaway from anything that they don't want to try or they think they're going to fail at. Right. I can't do it. Yeah. No. Oh, well, do you know how to play? No, the I, guitar? Can't. no, no I can't. I can't. No. Yeah, and not saying, not saying, oh no, I haven't tried it, or oh no, maybe one day I might. And so right. that's the difference between, uh, you know, uh, negativity and optimism at that point. Right. If you well, say you can't, to. exactly, I mean, you have it's no okay desire to. Not to. Be, I do. I do not want to go hang gliding. It's not right. that I can't. I absolutely don't freaking want to. Right. right. But if it's easy to just cop out. Exactly. So can't is not an excuse. Like it. it I don't know how it came to me, but it just did, you know, okay. over that day. And, and so I was like, I was like, I like that. And then the yeah. not equal sign kind of fell into that too. And I was like, can't does not equal excuse. Can't is not excuse. And I was like, Oh, I could throw the not equal sign in the middle of it. And right. boom, I got a, I got a logo. Right. Here we go. So within a day I had a, I had um, a motto, a lifestyle, mm -hmm. uh, and a, uh, a logo all the same day. And, and you're a business major, so you want to run yeah. a business. Yeah. And you have a disability, which you have, I mean, uh, I think we should capitalize on anything that we can that's unique about us. And that is what's, that is the first thing you see about you. That There's a lot that's unique about you, Mike, but that one <laughs> visually is the first thing that you see. Um, you took like your business background, your parents' support, um, teachers that had helped you, coaches, the team spirit. You kind of took all these little things that you've touched on through talking and put them into Candace on an excuse. I did. Yeah. In this video. And, yeah. And so, I mean, I finished that class, the, the video, um, it got 3000 hits overnight, basically, you know, right. on YouTube. And I was like, holy crap. Um, and I said, wow, this could be something big. And I'll, I'll never forget too. Uh, a couple days later, one of the kids in my class, uh, came up to me and would go and he goes he goes man your story is amazing and I was like oh thank you so much that you mean so much to me and he goes he goes the Lord blessed you with a great business opportunity oh, and, and okay, he that, yeah and he walked away he walked away and I kind of stood there and I was like huh <laughs> I I see you I was like all right all right right because why not I yeah mean, what, why not? Why not do it? And in the meantime, you've realized, not that you thought growing up you were alone in this, but you also didn't reach out to find other people or are there other organizations? And in this process, you're realizing, holy cow, there are. There are lots of people born with lots of different dis disabilities with limbs and- Limb differences, yeah. Limb differences. And, um, and then one other thing that we've talked about is now we have this huge population of veterans that are coming right. home more where not that any one thing's easier or more difficult. They weren't born with something that they had to adjust to. They were more thrust into a situation that they have adjust to where, Hey, now you you're missing both your legs. You used to have them. Now you don't Now How are you going to function? People that really, 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 you could make a huge impact on with your story. Right. And right. because you are not too afraid to share it. And that's the biggest thing. And what I realized is that it really, I mean, as cliche as it is, and you will read it on every motivational meme on Facebook, but it's, it's, you have to take a leap at some point and you have to just not be scared to be completely transparent. Like I've talked about, I've talked about dating, which is extremely hard for me. Um, right. You know, going through high school, I never had a girlfriend, um, you know, things like that. And then, uh, you know, dating for somebody for two years, uh, you know, and coming out of that relationship and, and things like that, you know, that was extremely hard. Girls are, 
extremely judgmental to a certain extent. And, you know, one of my favorite stories was I was out at a bar one night and uh, I went up and I, because uh, I'm not shy whatsoever, um, right. and I introduced myself to a girl and I said, hey, I'm Mike. And I put my hand out. She literally looked down at my hand and said, ew. Oh, oh God, I want to slash some tires. Right. Turned her back, (laughs) turned her back and walked away. And I was like, all right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, and so it, I've talked about that through my blog. I've talked about, you know, taking my hands out of my pockets. I've talked about, you know, the inspirations that I have and it, it it really, it, it takes you just being completely transparent, knowing your truth, knowing what you can bring value to other people with um, mm-hmm. because nobody knows my story better than I do and nobody can speak to it the way I can. Correct. And I knew that if I, if I did it in a way that's, that's informational, educational and entertaining all at the same time, you know, the possibilities are endless. So now you're taking, and I, I, I can't let that go. The girl that says you, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I want to punch her, but right. also because we can't see, like we said, we can't see most of people's stuff. And when you meet somebody in a situation like that, you're dating, you're at a bar, you're at a party, you're at a friend's house, whatever. Um, There should be, there end up being a lot of really ew moments in someone's personality. Right. (sighs) So, I mean, good for you for weeding them out early. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, mean, that ties back to the filtration (laughs) system, right? I, I just, yeah. Yeah. And we didn't even touch on dating because honestly, it never occurred to me that that would be a question to ask because I know you and love you and think you're great and you're such a cutie. And so people, oh, will, see, <laughs> people will see all your links, but I mean, you're six foot four, um, in great shape, an athlete, super funny, very smart, entertaining, like all these things that girls look for, right? If I'm a t- right. Or 27 year old girl, you're going to be like the catch because you have all of those things. So to look at your hands and say, ew, just God, she, people are such jerks. I don't like them. They are. They are. And those, are, I, it, 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 it just sucks because she's the ew. That right. personality is what we should all be disgusted by. No. Well, and actually, I, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful right. for it. And I, I, to tie it all together, I really, through all this, I look back and it, you know, like I said, once I hit that 23 and I took this class and I really, I, that's when I became comfortable with myself. And that right. moment, if you, if that moment would have happened to me when I was 21, probably would have devastated me. I probably would have gone oh, home. Right. Yeah. And I would have been done for the night. But honestly, once that happened to me and since it happened to me post Cantus non-excuse, I was like, cool. Like on <laughs> to the next. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and honestly, so I, I really, I truly believe, and, and this is one of my, you know, my mottos that get me through life is I believe I was born with a gift and not a curse. And the hardest thing is accepting that number one, um, believing it number two, and then owning it. And, and just truly believing that I, there's a reason why I have these hands. There's a reason why you went through the things that you went through. Right. You know, Clearly. and, and it's hard. It, and, and it's definitely, that's a harder conversation to have somebody with who say has AIDS or who has a terminal illness or has, yeah. um, you know, something like that. But a lot of good can come from darkness and it's within the darkness that the light really shines and you can create so much, so much positivity um, by just really honing in on, on the situation that you're going through and making the most of it. Because like I said, it ties back to when, you know, I was in middle school and I was 
going through, well, hey, I could go sit myself in a corner for the rest of my life and, you know, one day maybe commit suicide or I could go make a life for myself. I can go create something that's beautiful and live a life that I want to, whether or not people accept me or, or not, you know, and, and the only the only way somebody's ever going to bring me down is if I allow them to. I think it was, which is um, true. That, yeah, it, that is true. It was it's Eleanor really Roosevelt hard, that though. said the only person, um, Oh, I, I forget the quote, but it's basically the only, uh, the only person that can make you feel vulnerable or make you feel bad about yourself is yourself. If you allow them, if you allow yourself to, um, mm -hmm. I'm saying it verbatim, but, uh, yeah. And I, I truly, I, I truly believe that, that you, are in control at all times of your positivity, your emotions. If you're having a bad day, it's not because of anybody else. It's because of the way you perceive your bad day. Well, you're allowing them. You're, I always think of it like um, I'm giving that person control. Exactly. So I 100%. can be cut off on the highway, right, and be pissed off and have absolute road rage. And basically, I've just, I've just willingly given all the control over my day away to some person I don't even know. And who knows what kind of day they're having or why I got cut off. It could be because they're a jerk, which happened. Right. But right. I don't know their story either. And so I, I decided a long time ago, I would not give that much control away to anyone. Right. There's so little in life we can. I can't control getting cut off, but <laughs> I can control my attitude afterwards. And so Absolutely. that's huge because, man, stuff happens. So you graduated three years ago. You have this amazing video. Um, you are now you're, you, you're working your nine to five and doing your thing. And at the same time, you're building this business and this business is, uh, organically kind of evolving. You have the can is not an excuse, which may will hopefully does uh, be, it's an apparel line. It's a coaching opportunity. I, I got to, there's so many things that I am excited about watching and seeing and hoping for, um, coaching, uh, more videos. You're really fun with videos. I, and we got challenged yesterday to do videos, the two of us. Right. Right. <laughs> and that's like, wow, I, that's a, I'm up against someone pretty darn good. So, <laughs> um, oh, stop. Can is not an excuse. So the book is being written. Right. Uh, are you still doing the blog? Still doing the blog. So okay. I'm, um, as a matter of fact, I'm writing a blog post today. Uh, so okay. I, I'm posting that. So I'm getting kind of back on that train. Um, I'm using, yeah, I'm using my blog almost as a platform to help write the book to a certain extent. Like that's kind of, that's helping uh, create themes that I really want to touch on. That's a great um, way to do it. So the book's going to be more of a memoir uh, about my life, um, you know, chronological memoir. Uh, but the blog posts are really going to tie into that. And that will be the, the key hits and the key themes, key motives um, that I really want to drive home. Uh, so I'm definitely continuing the blog. Um, as you said, I'm continuing the videos. Um, what I found is I, I, I really enjoy and I've gotten some good response from just doing like short clips, like short, yeah. like little one, two minute videos on Facebook and Instagram um, to where I just, you know, it's kind of like a thought of the day or rant of the day. Um, just something that, you know, might bring value to other people um, right. and trying to express that and then hopefully create some dialogue around that. Um, so yeah. And then the apparel line, I'm getting that together, getting, you know, the business foundation together Public um, speaking, and I know, I know you've you definitely focus on schools, which is a donation of your time more than it is uh, like right. speaking where you're using it as a business, and then working in the community, um, 
like I, I mean, I, it makes me so excited to think about you public speaking and working with on a, in a coaching sense or a workshop or however that manifests itself with our veterans. I have yeah, more respect yeah. for anyone who served our country. Um, that's they, they hold, I hold them in very high regard. And so to be able to give back in that community, that's just a personal, that personally makes me feel good that you could do that. Yeah. Um, and so to kind of wrap things up, because I'll plug, we're going to put the links to all of your information. What is the easiest way for people to get in touch with you or to learn about you or to find you? The easiest way is go through my website, which is uh, cantisnotanexcuse.org. Okay. Um, so the website's there. So my YouTube videos on there, you can get to my blog from there. Um, my, all my social media uh, tags are there. Um, so you can find that. You can find a little bit more information about me. And then you can also um, schedule uh, you know, a, a meeting with me so that if you have a, a group, um, if you are an administrator of a school, if you have a community event that you'd like me to come speak at, um, you can actually schedule uh, a time to meet with me through that website. Okay. Um, so, so everything, everything is can't is not an excuse.org. And yep. then from there, I would encourage people strongly take, take three or four minutes of your time four or five, whatever it is. My video is the same length. Take the time and watch it. It, it is so worth it. Mike is an exceptional individual. I feel so blessed by the people that I've gotten to know through being unafraid of sharing my story. So, and then connecting with people who are also unafraid of sharing their story. And so I'm very thankful yeah. for that. Yeah. All right, Mike Alt, thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. And Thanks all the so links are below. Me. You are, oh, it's a privilege and an honor, sir. Absolutely. And we will chat soon. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jen. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.